Raymond's in his Sunday best He's usually up to his chest In oil and grease There's the Martins walking in With that mean little freckle-faced kid Who broke a window last week Sweet Miss Betty likes to sing off-key In the pew behind me That's what I love about Sunday Sing along as the choir sways Every verse of amazing grace And then we shake the preacher's hand Go home into your blue jeans Have some chicken and some baked beans Pick a backyard football team much of anything That's what I love about Sunday <laughs> Doesn't that song just make you want to recline out on the back porch today and just get on the, you know, take your Sunday afternoon and get a tall glass of sweet tea and kick your feet up and see the cattle grazing across the back of your pasture? That's what he loves about Sunday. What about you, city folks, you know? What do you love about Sunday? That, that song may or may not resonate with you at all. What, what do you love about Sunday? Uh, he grew up in the South, and, and that's what he loved about his Sundays. We're in the third week of this current message series. We're taking a closer look at why do we do the things that we do here at Orange Crest Community Church every Sunday. Your background and your experience has probably set you up or certainly has set you up for an expectation on what you hope Sunday will be like. You expect, you know, you expect certain things when you show up here based on your prior experience. Uh, so we're looking at, why do we do what we do here? We're looking at four major elements of our services on a Sunday morning. We're looking at, why do we sing? We looked at that in the first week. Then, second, why do we focus on God's Word? Why do we say that God's Word is central to what we do here? Why do we talk and teach about the Bible and encourage you to apply it? We looked at that last week. Today we're looking at this third uh, graphic here, which is, why do we receive an offering? Why is the offering a part of the service? And then next week we're going to look at, why do we serve together? Why do we partner together? Uh, Bruce, one of our pastors, he shared this quote when he began when we began this series. It says, A successful Christian life involves attention to three books. God's book, the pocketbook, and the hymn book. These books are all important. You know, now God's book, that's, that's really apparent. This is important. The scripture shows us how to live life God's way. This is, last week we looked at, the scripture is central to what we do here, okay? And so we understand how God's book is important to a successful Christian life. We also understand how the hymn book ties to the successful Christian life. Because songs tie our heart to God like nothing else really does. And so we explained in that message how singing, you know, allows us to worship a God who's worthy of all of our praise. And we, we understand how important it is for us to join together, unite our voices, and sing to declare God's goodness and, and just to sing about Him. Most of the songs we sing, uh, some of them you can, you can say, oh, that's from you know, Psalm 121, or this is from a certain psalm, or this is based on this passage. You know, we want our, our songs to be, again, built off of the centrality of Scripture as well. And so the Bible plays a role in that. Now, but, but if you look at this quote, there's that reference to the pocketbook, the wallet. And at first glance, we don't typically see the connection between our pocketbook and our faith in the Lord. In other words, what does money 
have to do with my faith? And that's what we want to look at this morning. What does money have to do with my faith? Our culture has created a giant canyon between faith and then real life. We separate faith and real life. And so, it's made it very difficult for us to look at the subject of money in the church. Uh, some people are completely turned off when money is the subject of the morning sermon at church. I've often had people come to me from other churches and oh, I was so tired of them talking about money. And I'm like... Okay, they're going to be okay until it comes up here. So if today's your first service with us, and you're like, this is why I didn't talk about, you know, then you happen to show up on on a day where we're talking about money. And so, uh, and I admit, this is one of those subjects that is a little more difficult to preach on. But after nine years of, of preaching and being your pastor here, I've seen the truth of this quote. Because this quote reflects the perspective of the Bible. You, you understand there's a connection between not just the... God's book and the hymn book, but the pocketbook as well. There's, there's a connection between our faith in giving and stretching ourselves and just real life. And there's a dynamic connection. Uh, but, it, but it's certainly, it's an unpopular subject to bring up in church. And the internet just keeps spreading more and more frustration about giving, more and more frustration about, you know, the Bible's uh, views on giving. And, and you have to be very careful, depending on the sites, or depending on how you're feeling and what you want to find support for. You'll find support for any of your great ideas on the internet. You know, I need, I need to know if this is true. I've got this idea. Oh yeah, this guy, he's got a whole website on it. Well, you want to check your sources out. And so if you want to build a solid life, you need to have a firm grip on what the Bible actually teaches. And so God in the Bible gives us specific guidance on, for Christ followers related to money and related to finances. And so I realize as a pastor, I'm really hurting our church if I don't ever talk about the connection between our pocketbook and our faith. I need to talk about this because it's a dynamic part of our growth. It's a very real part of our lives. Now, even the, so this, this morning, we're looking at this issue. Why do we take an offering? What's this all about? I want to define some things, and I want to give a, a passage of Scripture to really set this up. But the offering itself on a Sunday morning is a very brief part of our service. It goes by very quickly, but it's a regular act of worship here. Notice the offering, receiving an offering, is a regular part of what we call worship. We build it in every week. The offering goes by, it's very quick, but it goes by, and it's very important. But just because it's fast, we don't want you to miss the significance. It, it can get very uncomfortable, though, when we're taking the offering. You know, because in those few minutes before the offering is being received, the sermon ends, the ushers, you know, get ready, and then we, we send them to, to receive the offering. And all sorts of thoughts can start swirling in our minds. And I've had these thoughts before as well. When I'm visiting other churches, you know, if I'm visiting my dad's church or if I'm just out of town, you know, the offering's coming by and there's all these thoughts. I don't know if I can give right now or if I don't give, people might be watching me, so I better give because what if somebody sees that I don't give? And and I don't want anybody to think that I'm being cheap or that I'm not supportive. You know, what what are they going to think of me? It's like being asked at the grocery store. I know we've all had this experience. You go to the grocery store, you check out, and then they say, hey, would you, would you like to give your change, uh, that 80 cents to the, you know, and I'm not going to give an example there, you know, to support this specific, and there's a picture of who you're going to support, and you're just like, oh. <laughs> or you, and then you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And you might look and see who it is to see if you know there's a checker, or you know the checker, or if you know the person behind you, and you know that may dictate whether or not you give or not. Then you leave the store, and you're like, who made it out of that? And then who's sitting out there? Somebody else asking you to support something else. And you're, you're like, 
you know, or maybe your thought is, I'm not, I'm not going to make eye contact. I need a red box. I go to the red box. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the experience is for you, but when we're asked to give, we have these different thoughts that start swirling through our minds based on our perspective. So what I want to do is try to help us have a better understanding of why we give in the first place. So that, one, to deal with the thoughts. Or the thought of my little gift couldn't make a difference. You know, that, that thought is just not true of my little gift couldn't make a difference. So I want us to understand how to overcome the onslaught of thoughts like these. Like those types of thoughts through faith, through planning ahead, and through joyful growth in, in generosity through the years. Um, one of the verses we've been looking at is Romans 12.1. kind of sets up this whole series. And Romans 12.1 it says this, Paul writes this to the church, this is very specific, this is guidance, this is a letter written to the church, one of the key doctrinal, like core belief letters in the Bible is the book of Romans. And Paul writes in the 12th chapter, 12th chapter verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, that's why we know this is for the church, he's writing to the brothers, the, the Christian brotherhood in a sense, the brethren, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, he sets it up with this, this is very important. Don't skip over by the mercies of God. Basically, if you're a Christ follower, then you have been saved by the mercies of God. That, that is something to, to stew on and to think about regularly. By the mercies of God. We can never get past the fact that we've been saved by the mercies of God. But God's mercy, His mercies also include the many blessings and the gifts you've been given, the, the things that He's wired you to do, the, the way He's worked in your life. He's been so kind and merciful to you. And I want to look at some of how He's done that in a moment. Paul says, By the mercies of God, to present yourself, or to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So God's mercy, God's mercy should motivate and really stir us Towards dedication is what this verse is saying. God's mercy to us should be the, the thing stirring us constantly to offer ourselves, to present ourselves, and our entire lives up to God. God, you've been so kind to me. You've been so merciful to me. I'm offering myself to you. Now, verse, tw- uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 follows some of the gigantic truths that you find in the, fir- that you find in the first 11 chapters of, of Romans. In the first 11 chapters, you see all of these truths about who... Uh, who we are, what is our real condition, who God is, how God met our need, how, how, how bad it really is for us, and how, God, how good God really is in saving us. But one of the major truths that you find in the book of Romans is that people, all people, are guilty before God. Everyone here in this room is, is sinful, is a sinner. We all have that in common. We also all have in common that we can't pay on our own for our sin. And so, in spite of that, God, through His mercy has shown us just how much He loved us. He paid our penalty through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And so, look at Romans one twenty one. All of us have this... Paul writes in, in the first chapter that, that, you know, that everyone on the earth basically is without excuse. They, they, they can look around and know there's a God. We have no excuse because of all that God has already revealed just in His creation. However, here's what Paul states... There's this sense where he brings up this issue of we're all guilty before God. It says, for although they knew God, this is all humanity, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Basically, every person has willfully rejected God. They knew there was a God, but they decided not to honor Him. They didn't want to give thanks. 
Instead, they go on this futile quest, this pointless quest to seek answers and to seek wisdom and to seek meaning apart from God. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened. He's talking about the condition of mankind. All of us have been people who have, have no excuse, but we've all wandered off in pursuit of meaning and answers and hope because we sense there's this emptiness. And rather than going to God and having Him fill it, we go looking... And we're all guilty in that way. We're all guilty because we're not really in our own you know, sinful condition, our natural default condition. We are not thankful for all that we have from God. He's given us life. He's given us this place to live, this beautiful world that He's created. He's given us strength. He's given us everything that we enjoy right now. Look at what Francis Schaeffer wrote. He said, The beginning of man's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. That's the beginning. That's where things started going wrong. When we decided to just kind of forget about all that God has done and and just rather than being grateful and living in gratitude of that, rather than by the mercies of God presenting our bodies, you know, naturally we just don't do that. We're naturally an ungrateful group of people. That's our default state. And so what giving does, giving and offering is an act of faith. And it's, it's gratitude. And what that is, is it really is like an antidote to unthankfulness. When we start learning to give, it, that's, that's helping us combat the unthankfulness that we struggle with. Giving is all about gratitude to God. Let's look at First Chronicles 29. And in 1 Chronicles 29, we, we learn a few things. The first thing is, and this is on your listening guide, giving an offering is meant to remind us of the one who gave us everything. When we give an offering, it reminds us of the one who gave us everything. Now this comes from David. First Chronicles, you're going to get, we're going to be looking at a, a, a blessing and a prayer of David who was the king. He was the most famous and cherished king of Israel. He was called a man after God's own heart. And at one point near the end of his reign, his son Solomon is about to become the new king. But David was enjoying time in his beautiful palace. He's in his palace. He's, you can just imagine a king who's had success at least in the later parts. I mean, he had some rough, rough uh, you know, his life was not perfect. He had some low points. But at this point, he is he's enjoying this mansion, this palace that he built for himself. He'd had built for himself. But he realized at this point, God didn't have a temple. And King David clearly knew how much God had blessed him, how good God was to him. And he was here he was, the king, he's enjoying his life. And he goes to the prophet Nathan and he says, I want to build... God, a house that is worthy. I want to build him a temple. And this is actually a thread you find in Scripture, is that you find key leaders in the Bible recognizing they're working on their life, they're building their life, and they're neglecting to to do anything about God's kingdom or building God's kingdom work. And so you find this thread of how God wants us to accomplish His kingdom work while we're also building a life. He wants us to not just focus only on building our own life. He wants us to be able to, uh, you know, pour resources into His kingdom work as we're building a life ourselves. It's neglectful for a Christ follower to, to neglect God's work and only focus on their own lives. And so, David, he brings this to the prophet. He says, I want to build a, a, a temple for, for God. And the prophet tells him, you're not going to do that. That's not for you to do. He says, the, the, there will be a temple built, but it's going to be built by your son Solomon. This is some of the background of this passage we're going to look at in a moment. And so from that moment on, David, he begins to gather the resources to build the, t- the temple. 
or, or a house that would honor and be worthy of the God that he served. And so from his own resources, from his own wealth and riches, he takes all these resources and then he, bring, he brings the people and he invites the people to give. And people, starting with the leaders and then all of the people, begin to gather their resources from their own wealth. And they, they bring all of this together and they present this as an offering to God for the temple to be built. So that Solomon, David's son, would have the resources to build. And so First Chronicles 29 says that basically David, he offered all that he could in order to see this temple built. And he calls this huge assembly together, and with joy he dedicates all this, all this offering, this entire offering. And he, he offers up a prayer of praise, and he, just, he, he gives it, basically, on behalf of God's people. And so that's what I'm going to look at. Look at First Chronicles 29, verse 10. It says this. It says, Therefore... David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Now he's declaring this before all the people. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. He's, he's recognizing that God... God's kingdom is at work and he's in charge of that. All the affairs of, of the earth, God is working in the midst of that. We quickly forget this when resources come in. That both riches, look at verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. When resources come into our lives, when we experience some excess, we often forget that it comes from God. Sometimes we take credit for that. It goes on and it says this, You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Verse 13 says, And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Now how often in our success do we fail to recognize God's hand in it all? How often do we experience so many good things in life that we really hadn't earned and certainly don't deserve? Think about your skill set. Think about your gifting, your wiring, your abilities. The way God has made you, and, and you know, or, or think about the turns in the real estate market at points where you've maybe been able to capitalize on it and you've experienced something. We don't deserve that. Think about the raise. You might think, well, I, it's because I'm working on my job. I'm really sharpening my skills. Who gave us the skills? Who gave us the gifting? Who gave us the strength? David's reminding us all the strength and power that came from you, all the riches, all the resources, the gifts, those came, those came from God. Whenever, so whenever we give an offering, when we receive an offering, and, or when you give an offering, whether you do it here on a Sunday or whether you do it from your home, online, or however you might give, we're giving to God what already belongs to Him and what came from Him. We're giving it back. Giving acknowledges God's rightful place in our lives and it reminds us that we owe everything to Him. We, we're to offer up our, our entire selves to God. And so giving, when we give, it's a representation of us saying, God, all that we have is yours. He's asked us to give regularly. And we're going to look at some specifics on that. But here's another thing. Giving an offering helps accomplish God's work in the world. This certainly is true today. Look at in David's situation. King David, he continues, verse 14. It says, but who am I? David's saying, who am I? What is my people? Who, you know, who am I? Who are we that we should be able thus to offer willingly? He's basically saying, who are we, God, who are we that we could give you anything? 
Then he says, For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. We're, basically, we're just giving you back what has come so generously from you. Verse 15, For we're strangers, he says, before you, and we're sojourners, as all, all of our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. Meaning, this isn't our home. David's saying, this, this we're passing through. We're like strangers here. Then verse 16, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your house, for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. David realizes we shouldn't get a lot of credit because all these resources that we're giving, we're just giving them back. And followers of Christ want to give to things that will last. The perspective begins to shift when we realize... I'm, I'm giving to things that have an eternal impact. Things that will provide hope and meet needs. This is the role of the church. That God wants us to be a group of people who are banding together to generously invest in eternity. Into people, into God's work. And that, that's why David the king, he's describing himself as a stranger and as a sojourner. Because strangers and sojourners... You know, they don't spend all their, build, all their time building material possessions in the land that they currently find themselves in. They're just passing through. And so, that's a very different perspective. Now, you know, having a house is not wrong. Neither is owning a car. I mean, I, 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 I would say I own a house, but I'm paying on a house. I don't own it. I'm far from owning it. But, you know, you know... I've got cars, well, I've got a truck, and my wife drives a van, you know, so we have these vehicles, but it's it's easy for any of us with our possessions to, you know, for our identity to be formed and shaped by what we spend our money on. And David, he's just reminding us that our lives are ultimately shaped by what we give our resources to, not what we can spend it on here now, because we're strangers, we're passing through, there's a perspective. Now, as Americans, we have no problem spending money on things. We can spend money every day, and it's never been easier with the rise of, you know, online shopping, we do it from our phone. I can buy almost anything I want and have it, like, the next day. Recently, I needed a bladder, and, uh, okay, I got all your attention, okay? And so, I went on Amazon, and I bought a bladder. And uh, it's, it's so that I could, it's, it goes in a backpack, it's called a bladder, it goes in a backpack, you fill it with water, and then you drink out of the straw, and that's called a bladder. And, uh, and it came the next day. I got my bladder the next day. And, and now all, all of our stuff depreciates. Eventually my bladder is going to fail. <laughs> my drinking bladder, my backpack bladder is going to fail. <laughs> It's, it's, it's going to break. It's going to get old. And so I'll probably have to purchase another one someday. You know, those are for hiking or backpacking. And you've seen the people, you know, they don't, it's kind of nice they don't have to carry a water bottle. They can just have the little straw and it's attached to the backpack bladder, okay? Um, but, but it's going to break down. That's the thing about material possessions. They break down. On the other hand, giving to God's work, you know, it helps to advance eternity. It helps to advance what God is doing Far beyond our lives. We can actually give to things that don't fade, don't depreciate. And over time, God really allows us to enjoy that. He allows us to enjoy giving, being more generous. And when we give, it drives back greed. Because giving feeds something very different. Giving feeds joy, and spending feeds greed. 
And so that's very counterintuitive. But as David continues, he speaks to how God changes us over time in this area of giving. Look at the very next verse. The very next verse says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely freely and joyously to you. David's explaining, all these people were giving this with joy. God, I look at it. He's saying, God, everybody's so excited to present this offering to you because of how good you've been to us. And he's explaining, nobody here is trying to leverage you, God, by this gift. We're not trying to leverage you. We're not trying to twist you to get something out of this. We're experiencing real joy in this giving. Now, money doesn't usually bring things to mind like free and joyous. I mean, typically it's like... We want to hold on. But when you're giving to something that goes beyond this world, you can experience real joy. David, he says in the final verse, verse 18, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. There's this great legacy. This has been the one. God is faithful. Our, you know, you're the God of our fathers. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. He's saying, help us not to lose sight of this perspective so easy for, for us to forget that we're just traveling through the land as a stranger, as a sojourner. Help us not to forget this and think that this life is all that there really is. That's so why i got to get it all now. Because we can easily just center our time and our energy and our resources on building a kingdom here on earth for just ourselves, for just our family. But David's saying, look, yours, your kingdom is eternal, God. Help us to, to not lose sight of that. Whenever we give... An offering, you know, that's going to help people come to know Jesus Christ or to grow up in Him. It helps to change the lives and the destinies of people who, who God may transplant throughout the world that we just don't know the impact of our offerings here and now. And you may experience all sorts of thoughts like, well, I'm just one person. How could this make a difference? Why would God want my money? And the truth is, God doesn't need our money. He, he can do what He wants with or without us giving offering. The reason why he asks us to give is because he wants to grow our faith. Giving is a faith issue. It's always a, this is always God's tool to get us to grow our faith. It's a very intense growth method. It's like how, it's, it's just like if you're trying to work out and you've got a real intense workout regimen, it can be extremely painful at times, but it's very effective. That's what giving does to us. It's a very intense faith workout. Giving. If you flip over the back of your listening guide, it says this, giving is a significant part of our spiritual growth because it reminds us of God's ownership of everything. Everything that we have, God, God owns it all. He's provided it. Since, so since Sundays are a, are a reminder that our whole life belongs to God, then giving is just a practical application of, of this. This is why we take the time in the service. It's a weekly reminder. And even if you're a person that gives online or you give at home or you, you, you send in a check, or it, it's still important that when we receive the offering, it's still critical that you pause and that you offer up and thank God, I'm giving you these, I'm just giving this in gratitude and thanksgiving. This is an offering. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the strength that you gave this week. Thank you for the skills that you provide. Thank you for the resources that we've been able to enjoy. Thank you. Thank you, God. Second, our giving is a significant part of our spiritual growth because all of our offerings further God's work here at OCC and then beyond. So when you give, 
you're helping to accomplish God's work in this way. God, God has designed the church to operate through the group of people who join together to help support the thing and move it forward. The church itself is supported by the members, by the attenders, who say, this is my church family. I want to make this thing move forward. I want to make it go. And he uses this group of people and has been using this group here in this room to help our church move forward to reach this community and to do our part in helping to fulfill God's purposes in in this community and even um, to the world. I'm not from Riverside. I'm not from Southern California originally, but I've been living here for now 21 years. And I've lived more of my life in Southern California than anywhere else now, which is interesting. And... But one of the things I love is I love that when, when I give, when my family gives, I know that is going to reach the people that I, uh, you know, neighbors, my people in my community, the people that I live around. I know that God is going to use re- our, the resources to help people come to know Jesus Christ. I love teaching my kids about this connection between when we give and what God can do through that. And I love, I love seeing them learn to stretch their giving muscles as well as they learn to, to steward you know, what little that, that they have to work with, that they're still learning to steward those things, that's really important that they learn. As I give, I'm helping to accomplish what God is doing here in this community and even beyond this community. I wanted to just highlight a few, a few ways that our, our offering and, and our giving as a group is making a difference. Because you might be wondering, well, where does it all go? <clears throat> where does it all go? I mean, I see them bring it in. I wonder where it all goes. Here's, here's some photos and pictures of where our budget goes as a church. We pay for facilities. If you, if you look, you know, we're in this, we're in this beautiful community center. This building is not our church. And we, we meet here. We don't own this place. This is owned by the city of Riverside. And so we're just renting. We're just sojourning here. We pay a bill and we get to be here. We've been here for eight plus years. Isn't this a beautiful building? I mean, it's, it's, it's clean. It's freshly painted. It's it's swept. It's it's just it. We couldn't have asked for a more beautiful facility to use. I mean, for those of us who were here from the start, you know, it, it's just amazing how God has used or allowed us to meet in this place for the for this season of time. We're in this gymnasium. If you want to look at this picture, this is um, one of our areas in Kids Zone. You know, we're able to build what we want in the gymnasium. We have multiple kids' own classes for the different ages and, 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 and groups of our kids. And it's just, it's really exciting to be able to, to use this space. This facility itself is great. Here's a picture of the stage and one of our guys giving announcements. And, and just, it's, it's a beautiful facility and we're very, very grateful. But it costs money. And so when we receive the offering... Part of that is going to pay for the facility. We also have an office. We have an office in Mission Grove. Here's a picture of our office. Um, it's it's kind of packed, and so we fit. This was actually, I think, our first large group gathering in the office. This was about a year ago. And at that very first meeting, someone said, should we start talking now about an expansion plan or not? But uh, So we have four staff members that have offices in this building. Can you go back to that? And then... But we were able to hold large gatherings. We fit 115 people for that training rally before an outreach event that we had last year. But it was clear that we needed a little more space, and so we just secured the suite beside our office. And so we've just knocked down the wall to the left that has now expanded and opened up. So we've gained um, another like 2,000 square feet approximately, and so we can have larger gatherings there 
for training, midweek things, and so we're excited about that. But the offering, you're giving, that's how we pay for that. Then we have a staff. We have nine staff members. We have nine people that um, are supported in part-time or full-time sense. So the our pastoral staff on top are full-time pastors, and then that is their only job. And then our staff below has specific ministry responsibilities in church life. And we have a great staff. They work hard. They serve very well. They serve uh, you, the, the church body. Our role as a staff is to kind of set the table so that the congregation can just have a feast of ministry. We want to help you be equipped to do ministry. So the offerings, where does it go? Well, part of it is to help support the staff and to help cover the the, um, the salary and the paychecks of the staff members. Then we have outreach. Part of the offering goes towards outreach efforts. We do things like movie nights in the park. We've got that coming up. You saw the insert. We have been able to uh, connect with many families who, who don't have a church background through events like this. We also did an Orange Crestival last year in the fall where we attracted, I think, I'm trying to remember that the, we, I think we estimate around 800 plus people that attended the Orange Festival. We had a great time getting to know people in our community. And these types of events that are funded through our offering lead, they regularly reach and lead new families to Christ as we build relationships, we get to know people at these events, and then we begin to present the gospel to them and people come to know Christ. And that's been exciting for us to to be a part of. Also training. Part of our offering goes out to help with training. We're a part of a some larger networks, both denominationally and then even just on a, on a training network. We, we're a part of something called the 176 Network, which helps put together training materials and programs for um, the lay leaders and the staff of our church. And so you see this is a picture of our North Star. I, I apologize. I tried to patch this slide together, and I did one of those panoramic, th- these are panoramic shots, and so they're not the greatest quality, but you can see that's about 60 of our lay, meaning volunteer leaders who, or, or emerging leaders who are wanting more training, both in getting a firmer grip on the Bible and then getting a, a firmer grip on what God has to say about how ministry works and how leadership works. And so, but the, but the training resources that we use have been developed by our network, the 17.6 network, so we help to fund the work that's going on behind the scenes to, to provide training. Also, Antioch Project is a graduate-level, uh, staff-level training program that we're a part of as well. And this is part of our teaching staff and some of the key leaders, uh, some of the key leaders involved in that. But this sets... Uh, we have 12 people in our church involved in this. It's a five-year, graduate-level uh, ministry training. And so, and we're partnered with a seminary that is granting a full Master's of Divinity degree, which is uh, the degree that you would do if you were wanting to pastor or plant a church. And so, we're, it's been really exciting. Just God's opened doors for things like this to develop. But our giving is helping to, um, again, support these things that are going on behind the scenes to help us, Lord willing, be part of planting more churches as well in the long run. And then another category is missions. Our offering supports missions and missionaries. Here's a picture of the Rimstads who are, who we're supporting. They are in Papua New Guinea. And we helped, um, we helped that we are helping them monthly. Actually, you know, as the offering comes in, a portion of that goes to support them specifically. But we also helped give a significant gift of, I think, $20,000 to help uh, with their house building funds because they'd be building a house in the jungle. They're almost to the point where they're ready to, to, uh, to, uh, 
choose a tribe now in Papua New Guinea. They're narrowing down the tribes that they're planning to build a house in and spend the rest of their life reaching. But on another larger scale, we're a part of supporting the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so we're helping to reach the many um, unreached and unengaged people groups around the world. And we're helping nearly 4,000 missionaries who are serving around the world to see the gospel advanced. And then one final thing I want to highlight is life change. As you give, it impacts people's real lives. And so here's a picture of one of the young girls in our church being baptized. This is uh, Olivia Mello. And she's being baptized by her father there, Danny. And uh, I had the privilege of baptizing Danny about maybe seven years ago. A group of our church were camping up in the woods. And Danny had recently become a Christian. And he wanted to get baptized there. And we were at this camping site. And there was a creek running through. And we had a shovel. And so we had to dig the, the creek deeper to get it deep enough so he could be fully immersed under the water. And it was freezing cold. And he was just that ready and committed to do that. But here he is now, the next generation that has been reached. So from one generation to the next, from life to life. And many of you took part in helping to reach Danny and his, seeing his family come to Christ and then seeing his daughter now. Maybe some of you are teachers that have worked with little Olivia. Maybe you held her even as a little baby. And so I want you to understand there's great impact going on through our giving. Here's another picture. This is Dennis. And Dennis is in here. And he was baptized at our last baptism. Dennis is an adult who's come to Christ and really moving forward in his faith, plugged in and involved here, he and his family. And so lives are being changed. Here's a picture of the entire group that we baptized in the fall. 19 people that we baptized in the fall. And so don't think my giving isn't making a difference. Don't think, uh, what could this possibly do? No, lives are being changed. And so how can you give? When we give, it's much more than just paying a bill. I have online banking. I pay my bills, and it's kind of a chore. I appreciate the convenience, but it's still a chore. We don't want giving to be a chore. You need to separate giving to church from your normal budget and how you give, because that is a chore when you're doing your budget. Uh, Giving isn't meant to be that way. Now, I I give a percentage that represents the whole of all that God has has really given. That's, That's out of gratitude. I know that you share that sentiment. If you're regular and you're giving, you're giving, you know, Lord willing, it's, it's out of gratitude. You're going to, to, you're giving in order to help move God's work forward. And there's many ways you can do that. Not everybody gives Sunday morning here in the service. But just to highlight a few of them, here's some of the ways that people give at OCC. You can give through the giving envelope. Here's a picture of it. It's actually in each, each program every week. You can give, you know, right then and there, or you can just mail that giving envelope in. Because it's got our address on the back. Also, some people give online. You can log on to our website. Here's the giving page. It shows you all of our giving options on there. Um, some people pref- prefer the convenience of this because of just the, the automated side of it. You can set it up one time or you can just recur your gifts. Other people give through their bank bill pay. Some people, uh, a growing number of people are sending our church office just their, their tithe because they want, and their offering because they just want it to be something that they can just do from their own bank and it gets sent in. Uh, text giving. Some people prefer the text giving option. Um, you'll see the number show up at the end. And then finally the offering basket. We pass an offering basket still. And even though the offering basket probably is the s- smallest amount of what comes in, 
um, from month to month, it's still very important because it causes us to pause and say thank you, and to just to think about this. Th- this is you know this is more than just um, something we do for no reason, but this this is really important part of my growth. Part of why we highlight these different options is because giving and and being identifiable in some way allows you to be accountable. It helps you be accountable to the church. It helps you be accountable to your church. And so many of you have made that commitment to be an accountable giver. And so if you, if you give regularly, then every three months, our financial uh, administrator sends you a given, giving statement that just lists out every gift you've given. So you can, one, check to make sure that, that it's right, and then two, that you can actually be looking at, how's this area going in my life? And you can evaluate, how is this faith muscle building? And developing. So, I want to wrap up and just um, just state a few final things, and then we're going to close with a song. If you're newer to walking with God, if you if you're newer, if you're a newer Christian, you're newer to walking with God, then I want to encourage you in faith to choose in faith to choose a place to start in your giving. If you're newer and walking with God, you've never tested out giving, you've never begun to become a regular giver. In faith, choose a, a percentage to start from and grow from there. We invite you to start building your faith muscles through becoming a regular giver here at our church. If you've walked with God for a while, then He's going to ask you to begin to give at a sacrificial level. But we teach tithing, which is for you know Christ followers, is a tenth, which is, that may seem like, wow, that is ridiculous, that's crazy, how could anybody do that? Well, many, many... Many people here give a tithe, and they are committed in their giving of a tithe. And it may be that you're, you've been walking with Christ for a long, long time, but you're spinning your wheels financially, and it could be that this is the reason. God's trying to get you to grow your faith muscle and to give at a sacrificial level and a real faith level like a tithe. It's kind of like when we learn to ride a bike. Everybody, when we learn to ride a bike, we start with training wheels, right? We put the training wheels on, or maybe somebody else does that for us. Because when we're younger, we realize... The fear of falling is real. And if you've fallen off a bike, which I have, it hurts. And giving is kind of like this. If you're, if you're a new Christ follower, then this can be a brand new experience. And so it requires a new level of faith. And so maybe you need to be, you know, you just need to test it out and start growing in your giving. And it's, it seems wobbly. And it's, but you realize my faith muscles are starting to build. I'm growing. I'm growing. And over time, as you're growing, maybe God's prompting you to begin to grow your giving towards what is called a tithe. If you, you know, if you are a Christ follower who's been walking with God for years and years and years, maybe even decades, you've really seen God come through. You've really seen God take care of you. Then I'd encourage you to move towards the biblical tithe. And it's kind of like Again, the training wheels. Maybe God's saying, it's time to take the training wheels off and trust me. This is a faith step to trust me at that level. And I would encourage you to consider that and begin to pray through that issue. That's, that's a risky thing to walk by faith in that way. And so the next steps that you see on the bottom of your listening guide, also they're on your connection card. I just, you can highlight those. There's a few that we've uh, laid out there and maybe something specific just the blank line there in case there's something specific God has spoken to you but let's pray and wrap up Father thank you for this time Uh, thank you so much for your your word and and the many many places in scripture where we see this subject of, of generosity and money come up 
God, this offering passage in First Chronicles where David leads the charge and then the people joyfully give to build the temple, it reminds us of just how important your kingdom work is and how as we give, we have an opportunity to be a part of something that will last. So Lord, help stir our hearts in the right way. Motivate us. Lord, we pray that you would be the one um, prompting change in this area, not, not that I would or others would um, try to motivate through guilt. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak and that we would be those who would respond to you, God. We thank you for this dynamic connection that there is between our money and our faith. God, we thank you for the ways you've challenged us this morning. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.